The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, I'm speaking with Zach Kong. He is the founder of a new company called 2050, and they are creating forks and spoons that actually can be composted uh, in your home compost instead of needing to go to those big industrial compost centers. Zach, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's my pleasure. So I want to talk all about your new company called 2050, and it's making home compostable spoons and forks. And this is a a big change because a lot of the the bio-based forks and spoons that we see on the market have to be composted in an industrial facility, but yours don't have to be, right? Yes, yes. Let's talk about the company. So what's what's behind the name 2050, first of all? We read the news is in 2050, some scientists focus that the weight of plastic will be more than the one of fish in ocean. So we really want to decide to prevent this event happening. Yeah, it could be a very bad situation. And we know that the plastic industry is trying to double their their output and our recycling systems aren't really working. So it's good if we can get any alternatives to plastic. So what happened in your own life that you realized that there was such a big problem with plastic in our oceans? When I still was a student and then in about 2016, I took part in a project that help to collect trash in the Lago River. Uh, in, this is a project from UCSD. And then I, by the way, I searched the destination of the trash when they leak out from the stream and river. And I learned that it was uh, the ocean, one of the trash islands near Hawaii. Oh, yeah, we just did an episode on Hawaii. So you kind of saw that there was this big problem firsthand, and then you decided to... Do something about it? Yeah. And then since that, I start my research in the house, starting from the kitchen. Yeah. And did you say University of Southern California? Is that where, you're, where you were in? UC San Diego. Oh, sorry. UC San Diego. Yeah. And what is your background? I studied uh, bioengineering major uh, as undergraduate in UC San Diego. And so I have some training of adding DNA of cancer cell. And of, of course, I also have some uh, initiative of manufacturing factories. In, since I was a um, high school student, also I have some internships during the, the summer of the college uh, period. Oh, wow. So you have, uh, you have the know-how, I guess, to turn this into like a, a big scale uh, sustainable product, which is awesome. Do you want to tell us how you developed the recipe? Was it a lot of trial and error, or did you kind of know the recipe to use right away? Actually, this development is not only about the recipe, it's also about how to 
make the mold in such kind of material because it is not plastic. It's mixed from the flour, and then the, the mechanical property is quite different. So I during development, I have to handle both sides. One is the mold, one is the recipe, and then any parameter of each side change that will interact <laughs> another part. So sometimes I find out the recipe may work, but the mold is not work. I need to re- redesign. And by the way, and during the development of the mold, the 3D printing is quite help. Otherwise, it's, it would burn like thousands of money to make that uh, testing for each round testing of the mold. So it's quite amazing in this age with the help of 3D printing. Wow. So are all of them 3D printed or is that just for the design phase? For the development phase is 3D printing. Mm-hmm. Right now, the 3D printing is not yet to reach the massive industrial production, except for airplanes. Because mm-hmm. it would be too expensive? Yes, it's quite it's, uh, expensive for making the product, but it's, it's quite cheap to during the development stage. Because in this industry, manufacturing industry, if we want to make the stainless steel mold or any metal mold, there will be at least 10 times of the 3D printing during the testing phase. Mm-hmm. So the recipe, I, I read it, but I can't remember. I think it's just like it's flour and water and are there a few other things in it? it. It seems like quite a simple ingredient list. Actually, this is a lot of version of this flour because in U.S. version is wheat, corn, and soy. This is a United States version. Our Ideally, we want to produce uh, the product around the world based on their local uh, grains. Ooh. So Europe has its own version. Australia has their own version. China has their own version. Even like South Africa has its own version. So for the recipe pattern, I, I wrote about 80 pages. It's just about has a lot of combination of the formulation. And I remember it's about 200 combinations. And then Oh. Available is about 20 to 30 to fit um, various countries in the world. So that's good for America because I know we have a lot of corn and soy growing. Yes. So that would be good to take advantage so, of that. Mm-hmm. That first reason is we want to reduce the carbon footprint of the supply chains if we use the local grains. Another is yeah. um, we need to use the cheapest uh, material to make this product cheaper based on current scenario is um, petroleum-based plastic will go down uh, quite a lot because uh, the the requirement of petroleum right now is uh, is lower and then it's getting cheaper. So I think it's competitive in economy uh, still. And then PLAs is also uh, will also go down because if they get further. Uh, development like a decade ago and then eventually they go to the massive production so in economy film they probably have um, a little bit more advantage for the cost but um, Mm -hmm. as we develop our uh, mode and the machines we we will like to catch up with their cost like at the end of this year oh good that's that's awesome I hope I hope that you do. And so the special part about these are that they're compostable. So 
how is it possible to have such a solid, usable spoon, and then it can just disappear like on the ground? Um, how like how does that happen? First, the material is natural, uh, same as the fiber, and then but not uh, that, that that's different from the bioplastics or petroleum based plastic. So, with the help of the temperature, water, air, and some enzyme fungi we can see anywhere in the soil that that could help to composting. We our product is still faster than fiber because lots of fungi or bacteria can help to decompose the the material. But the fiber only ha- like one to two times of special enzyme that release the release the enzyme that can compose that material. So our product will be faster. And another way is um, the link of our the, the chemical link of our product is more easy to break down. So there, I think that is another reason. Wow. Okay. That's very cool. And I think that that's a, a problem with plastic is it's just the, I guess the molecules are like so well held together. Is that right? I'm not sure. Mostly it's based on the chemical reaction. So if the link between the, the molecules is it's easier to break down. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we've seen some enzyme with some um, room temperature that can be easy breakdown. That would so the whole material can be easy to break down. Mm-hmm. So if we add to lots of energy to make a, a strong bonding of the uh, of the between the molecules, so that the material is very hard to break down, like the plastic, because they have a chain reaction. So they have very strong chemi- uh, chemical bonding. So it's really hard to uh, decompose. Also, the fiber is m- most of uh, complex um, natural material in nature. So it's also very hard to break it down. Uh huh. And then the enzymes are already built into your product, which help the breakdown, right? That's what you're saying? Our chemical bonding is uh, weaker. And then there's a lot of fungi and bacteria like our material that can decompose them and then turn our material to fertilizer that's uh, with the, with nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. So lots of microorganisms or plants will like that if we put it on the soil. Okay, so, so the enzymes aren't being built into the spoon and fork. You're just saying that they are already outside and... They can on the feed. soil anywhere, yeah. anywhere on the soil that that can easily compose them. Okay, awesome. And then, of course, in our compost too, uh, they will break down. Okay, that's pretty amazing. Cool. So there's a there's a regenerative aspect to the spoons and forks. So can you speak to that a little bit, Zach? Yeah, sure. When our customer uh, some bought like food plaza or uh, some chain store, we can recycle the waste product. And then we can turn it to the fertilizer, which contains nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and lots of mineral. And then it can just simply uh, decompose in 10 to 15 days and then turn it back to the, the nutrition, to the soil. So we can actually sell the fertilizer back to some farmers. And then that could be create a uh, regenerated uh, economy. Wow. So if there's a, a big buyer of these, you could probably pick them up after. 
and uh, and then make some fertilizer. But I guess I guess people can fertilize their own gardens then. Uh, so maybe I should be throwing my spoon in my my garden. Actually, some area like in New York, people will like to plant their own food on the roof. And then in San Francisco, there is some company, a uh, startup company, is planting some food vertically within the warehouse. So I think there will be the trend of the in the future is people plant the food outside also indoor. So we can become uh, upstream a supplier to provide the fertilizer to these people. Wow, that's pretty cool. And then there's another another big festival, and they're looking at bamboo because they want they have thousands of people that come to their family farm, and they they want a fork that if it falls on the ground, it'll just return to the soil instead of them having to go and pick up, you know, pieces of that plastic. That would be great, especially the family the farm yeah. area. Yeah. Yeah, and they don't have to worry about like bad chemicals, and they don't have to worry about like you know metal. If someone drops a spoon, I don't know if it would mm-hmm. get stuck in farm equipment. I don't mm-hmm. know. So, what about the the packaging? Are you working on sustainability as well? Because I would assume that if restaurants want to buy these, they'd probably be buying them in really big orders. So, are you working on the sustainability mm-hmm. of like transporting and and packaging them as well? We are currently using craft paper for uh, product packaging, even though the, for the cushion part, we still use paper during the shipping. So we are very strict of that. So no, I, I think it's ideally no any other plastic film or plastic stuff in within the packaging. But it's still based on the law. But if somewhere like you still need to maybe... Europe, maybe Europe, maybe FDA in the United States, probably uh, sometimes they need uh, film packaging to seal up the whole product. So oh, yeah. uh, that's unviable if, uh, if we meet this scenario. But currently, uh, we haven't met any uh, law requirement of that. So we keep using pack, uh, craft paper right now. Uh-huh. That's good. And for the whole thing, so from the design process to the manufacturing to sales and all that stuff, like what has been the biggest challenge about disrupting the plastic utensil industry? For us, it's, it's very hard to building awareness of customer and distributors in the area that do not have very strict environmental protection law because lots of people still is a bit if it's okay to use disposable PLA by plastic utensil when it's in reality they are hardly different from the uh, petroleum based plastic yeah so people just say yeah it's compostable it has a label on the front but they lots of customers just ignore the small statement on the side of the packaging lots of the the plastic packaging will have the word say you have to recycle this uh, waste material back to the nearby industrial facility. But when you check on the map, there's not quite a lot of uh, yeah. such kind of facility nearby. Mm-hmm. One of the most important reason is it takes money to recycle the material and then the outcome of the uh, composting is just some kinds of carbon without lots of nutrition as fertilizer. So lots of businessmen do not have motivation to build such kinds of industrial facilities. 
So we brought Sangwon Su. He's a scientist from California on the show, and he was saying that some of these supposedly compostable plastic items, their bonds are so well done, just like what you were saying, that they are just as persistent in the ocean than actual plastic. Because I asked him if if they would break down quicker. Because I would think if a if a plastic cup says on it. That it will break down; it's compostable, and then maybe it has a warning on it. Must be sent to a industrialized facility. I would still think that it would break down better in the ocean, but according to Sangwon Su, it doesn't. It's like just as as persistent.、Um, I think at some point maybe it would be better, but I don't know. So, so yeah, you're right. Some of these things are not as good. As they seem, and a lot of these things are just getting thrown into the garbage anyway. So、mm-hmm. I I've seen a lot of places around Canada that will offer some sort of green serving tray or or something, and then they just have a trash to put it in. They don't have food scrap removal. They maybe offer a recyclable cup, but they don't have a sink to rinse it out. And if it's not being rinsed, we know it's. Not going to go through the recycling system if it's all dirty, typically. So,、uh, yeah, lots yeah. of challenges. Actually, for the recycling、uh, industry, PLA or bioplastic stuff will pollute the recycle chain. Actually, yeah, PLA is or bioplastic is very awkward stuff. They cannot put it to the recycling chain, then they have to be back to the、uh, industrial composting facility or just landfill, and then. When I developed the product, I already read lots of research paper. That's also some research paper indicates that those bioplastic cannot be prevented very well in landfill or ocean environment. It's just like petroleum-based plastics. You, you you got the point. Yeah, there's some research paper. Yeah, what does PLA stand for? It's originally made from、um, cornstarch. I think it's called、uh, polylactic acid. I will. Oh yeah, polylactic acid.、Um, so it's not biodegradable, but it is degradable. I guess I'm seeing on Google. In science space,、uh, because my major is bioengineering, so、uh, I have to、uh, clarify is is a very important material in the in the biomedical industry. And then that can transplant、uh, to the、uh, human body. Is this by is this、uh, decomposing in human body? But in outside environment, no, no, sorry, it's not. Do、so、you it's mean overwhelming of the idea? Do you mean that our bodies can process it? Yes. It oh can, wow! Can,、uh, it you can、uh, make as a biomedical、uh, material. And and then transfer into the human body, and then that can, like, some wire online that can suit our wound, and then that can、uh, compost it by its own after、uh, several weeks. So that's quite helpful material. But I don't know who, but some people just use this idea to put it to the dis- disposable utensil, and then make this idea overwhelming of compostable stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you're listening, the、uh, Buzz Buzzfeed of all all people did an excellent video. You can probably find it on YouTube. Just what Zach is saying about the bioplastics 
getting in the way of the recycling facility because if you are drinking out of a cup and you it's plastic and you don't notice that it is a compostable cup and you just probably throw it with everything else it looks like, which is plastic. And then I think it contaminates the plastic. So if someone's trying to like melt things down and make new plastic, then you've got this material that doesn't really quite work with the plastic, right? That they're trying to they're trying to make new again. So I think it really screws up the the recycling system, like you're saying. Yes, some company trying their best to recycling the paper cups and then try their best to separate the, the film and the paper, but I don't know uh, what is their cost right now, but they're trying their best. Yeah, yeah, the Sustana group does that. They'll recycle coffee cups where they actually take the plastic off the paper and, and process it, but like pretty much nobody else is doing it. Certainly our area of recycling isn't doing it. And I don't, have you ever heard of the coffee chain, Tim Hortons? <laughs> it's like our Dunkin' Donuts in Canada, like... They're on every corner. Yes, yes. Yeah. That company is in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. And it is like there are Tim Hortons cups everywhere you go. Like there's such a, a big litter issue, you know, and, and unfortunately our recycling facilities can't take them because it's just so complicated and expensive to pull those things apart and then nobody's going to buy the the products left over. So it's a big issue. But um, I just wanted to ask you – a question about you because I think it's so amazing that you have founded this company and it seems like you've done some really amazing work and you found like a really good way of uh, of using something instead of plastic. Um, are there things that you do in your own life currently that are either zero waste or sustainable? Yeah, I have my electrical vehicle. I like nice. the vehicle without <laughs> emission gas Yeah, and I uh, I trust our best in our office is paperless. Any signed document should be just uh, put it online, use PDF or other online service to just read it and then sign the name. And then we, my wife and I try to reduce the intake of meat, like especially beef. So, yeah, we control it within a small amounts of the meat intake. And on the other side is I really want to eliminate the uh, the, the paper as uh, when I uh, that I receive in my mail is really frustrating. But I still yeah. finding a way to ask people to not send such kind of as in my mail. Yeah, that's I th- waste loss of print and I, paper. I hear it's a problem in the U.S. because in Canada, all you have to do is put a note in your mailbox that says "no junk mail" and you will never get junk yeah. mail again. But I think it's more complicated. In the U.S., like I don't know why that doesn't work down there, but I, I've heard that it doesn't. I don't know. Have yeah, you, have I you really tried? Yeah, I really want to find a way to to, to eliminate it. That's frustrating. But yeah, maybe if you put a no junk mail sign in there, they'll stop dropping off. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they will. That would be that would be a good suggestion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how can people purchase your forks and spoons? Go to your website. Twenty fifteen. Um, mm-hmm. People can go into twenty fifty fork dot com. To order online currently and then we also contact some distributor especially there's a lot of distributor in europe like our product and then just ask us how much we can provide right uh, right now and then how long to deliver to their uh to the destination and as a chain store we're talking right now we also uh, negotiate with some chain store in the united states oh, so hopefully in some chain store 
maybe have some fast food or ice cream yogurt store will we, we'll come up our product and but uh, before that I still think convenience of the utensil should really have the price of economy rather than the cost of environment so I wish people in United States will be uh, have awareness is if we want to use the disposable utensil should be like probably pay a little bit more uh, like we use the plastic bag in supermarket mm-hmm. so um, that would be very good helpful for our, bis- our business in current stage of course we also feel happy when a customer bring their own utensil to prevent using uh, disposable utensil mm-hmm. yeah I keep some in my vehicle but I actually find I don't order food that comes in garbage anyway, so I don't usually find myself needing to use a fork unless I can get someone to fill up my container because I also drive around with jars and containers. My vehicle's like full of a lot of things. But yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so it's 2050, all spelled out, and 2050forks.com. That was right, I think. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So if you're interested in checking them out, you can go on their website, 2050forks.com. And that was uh, Zach Kong. And, and you're the founder. Are you the CEO as well? Not really, currently, uh, because I handle uh, part of the business to Asia. So I leave uh, some of the jobs to my wife to handle that. Oh, nice. Cool. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, Zach. And I think that this is a wonderful thing that you're doing. And I think it's leading positive change. And I'm going to I'm gonna put one in my compost and I'm going to put one outside and, and uh, see what happens. So uh, thank you, Zach. Thank you so much. Thank you, Laura. That was Zach Kong calling in from California about his new company, 2050. He makes forks and spoons that biodegrade in soil without needing an industrial composting facility or even a home compost. These things will disappear uh, right in the dirt, which is pretty cool. Sometimes when we order takeout food, restaurants will automatically include plastic forks and spoons, even though a lot of people head straight home to eat and actually don't need them at all. So it's crazy to think of the journey of a fork that is made from oil and gas products and shaped into a fork. And oftentimes it'll come in its own little plastic bag. If you've ever had takeout with a plastic fork in a little plastic bag in your other plastic bag with a bunch of other plastic or styrofoam containers, it's just crazy that we feed ourselves with so much garbage. Anyway, so the fork will go in that bag and then it will go right into someone's garbage uh, if they don't use it, if they take it home and use a regular fork. So if you are getting takeout, especially during this COVID-19 time, if you actually just check the bag and maybe return them, they're probably not going to want to touch something that you touched, which is unfortunate. So maybe if you just put a special request not to put any condiments or not to put any utensils or anything like that, maybe they'll be able to help, maybe not. A lot of takeout places are busy and they might be stressed out. So if you do get one of those you know, sometimes it happens. Uh, you can, of course, get a TerraCycle box and, and send them into TerraCycle for recycling because uh, most recycling facilities, especially mine where I live, uh, the plastic forks are too small to be useful. So they fall through a sifter sort of thing uh, when they're going around on the conveyor belt and they end up just going to landfill. So if you do get a plastic fork and you put it in your curbside recycling, chances are, depending on your own facility, 
those plastic forks will just get sent to landfill anyway. So they are a pretty big problem. And I do like that, uh, that this is a, a good solution because a lot of people just won't wash their dishes. I've talked to some uh, big event places and they say they just don't want to hire people to wash dishes. They don't want to use all the water. It might be too much water. Uh, one event place I went to was on a well system and they, they actually literally did not have the water the uh, the amount of water that it would take to wash dishes for hundreds of people after every event. So there are certain times where where people prefer to have throw out options, which of course in the zero waste world we'd rather have washable items. But uh, this is kind of the world that we are dealing with. And another update on COVID nineteen. So if you are struggling to buy things without packaging, I do believe that this whole thing will be over soon, and we can get back to shopping zero waste. I really hope that stores don't continue their bans on containers and plastic bags because we know that the virus can live on plastic and it's similar to cloth bags so I see a lot of people out there complaining about people with dirty cloth bags so make sure you wash your cloth bags regularly if you're taking them to the grocery store um, but plastic can be just as germy um, as cloth so I I really hope that we can return normal soon. So hang in there, everybody. If uh, if you're listening to this as a new episode and we're still in the time of COVID-19, I, uh, I think it will be over soon. And uh, hang in there and we can get back to uh, to saving the world when it's all over. So take care, everybody. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. 